Well, we're going to have our second Bible reading now, and we're going to continue in Daniel chapter 2. We're going to pick it up from verse 24 and read until the end of the chapter. Um, That's verse 49. So you can follow along on the screen, um, otherwise in your Bibles. So that's Daniel chapter 2, starting from verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, And he said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay in your your bed are these. As you are lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partially of iron and partially of clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them up without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it for the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. 
This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. This is God's word. Oh, good morning, uh, friends, uh, brothers and sisters at home. Just when I thought uh, the days of speaking to a camera is over, here we are again. But I am picturing where you normally sit, and the front pew is still empty. And, of course, a warm welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. But let's pray, and we'll have a look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we consider Daniel chapter 2, there are things that are difficult to understand. But we pray that by your Spirit, you'll help us to understand it, to think your thoughts after you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may or may not be aware of this, but last Friday was the Lunar New Year or Chinese New Year, or the Asian New Year, just to be a bit more inclusive. It's a big deal in Asia. It's also a big deal in Box Hill, or it would have been, apart from the lockdown. Now, you may or may not also be aware of this, but the New Year celebration of that culture is, it's all bound up with a whole stack of superstition, just like uh, they believe you should be cleaning a house before New Year celebration begins. Clean up the house so they can sweep away the bad luck of the previous year. Or firecrackers, normally there will be a whole stack of firecrackers, and that's because it's to ward off evil spirits. Or uh, you're not meant to wash your hair on New Year's Day, and that's because you're washing away the fortunes of this year. Now, of course, as Christians uh, in our family, though we celebrate the New Year's, we don't uh, believe in all that superstition because believe in Jesus Christ. But what it does highlight is that there is this fear of the mysterious. There is the fear of the unknown. And that really is regardless of culture. And people manage that fear by all sorts of things like superstition. But what it at least recognizes is that life is mysterious. This world is mysterious. There are so many unknowns that we have no control over, so many mysterious things that we cannot explain and we just don't understand, like the mystery of the mind when you go to sleep. And now we enter the world of Babylon, a world fascinated with the mysterious dreams and visions and divination. There was a whole department set aside to investigate and think about dreams and interpret dreams, a whole department of mediums and sorcerers and magicians. In fact, archaeologists, they've found Babylonian dream tablets, and it's in the British Museum where they've recorded dreams and interpreted dreams on it. 
And so we enter this world of Daniel. We enter a world where there was great fascination with the unknown and the mysterious, but also a fear of the unknown. And now when we read this passage, we're met with a a sense of irony because we're meant to see their fear, but yet their power. Here we have a king of a superpower over Babylonia, a king who reigned over Babylon for 43 years, a king who, who got what he wanted, whatever he said happened, a king of power and prestige. In fact, the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, it was his work, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, or the Ishtar Gate, now in the Pergamon Museum in Berlin. It was his work. This was a powerful king. He got what he wanted. Nothing was withheld and nothing was out of his reach. But here's the irony. With all that power, the empire at his feet, he could not even get a good night's sleep. He couldn't sleep. Tormented and perplexed by the mystery of his dream. It wasn't a foreign power, their mighty armies or the mighty chariots that caused him to sweat and to fret, but it was his dreams, twisting and turning at night, waking up with a cold sweat, agitated, disturbed, so much so that it looked like paranoia set in. Now that was his experience, but it reflects something else about humanity. It in fact exposes something about humanity. Because I'm sure we've had those experiences as well. And what does it show? Well, it reveals that as powerful as any man or woman can be, there are always limits to human powers. We can't even control what happens in our minds when we go to sleep, when we dream. We heard of Ollie's dream. You can't control that. I mean, some of the stuff I've dreamt of, they are the stuff of Oscar-winning movies. I've gone flying like Superman in one of my dreams. I've killed monsters in my dreams. I've, I've survived uh, dying several times in my dreams. I, I even looked good in one of my dreams, but they were just dreams, and I had no control over them. But not only are there limits to human powers, there are limits to human wisdom. Because what did King Nebuchadnezzar do? Remember, he was powerful. He got what he wanted, the most powerful man in the empire. Well, he turned to the best he had, to mediums, to sorcerers, to magicians. Now, the king at this point, perhaps either because he forgot the dream but was still tormented by it, or he was smart enough to test out his magicians to see whether they're for real. In verse 5, he says to them, You tell me not only the interpretation of the dream, but the dream itself. Because anyone can make up an interpretation, but you tell me the dream. And if you get it wrong, you die. You get it right, you'll be rewarded. Now, if you were those sorcerers, magicians hearing that, hearing such a threat, what would you do? Well, you do all you can. You apply your mind to it. You're the expert. You're the one who's meant to solve it. Your life is on the line now. But what did they do? Well, they were like your typical overpaid and underdelivered type of staff. And they conceded. They knew that there was a limit to human wisdom. You see, as smart as any human being can be, 
We might have a lot of letters behind our names, a lot of PhDs and masters of this and PhDs of that. We might even be a genius. But how many geniuses are considered fools in the eyes of God? We read even in Psalm 14, it is the fool who says in his heart that God does not exist. You see, there is a limit to human wisdom. There is a realm we cannot access. And so these Chaldeans, what did they say? Well, they at least got one thing right. They knew their limit. And we see that in verses 10 to 11. No one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this of any magician, medium or Chaldean. What the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods, whose dwelling is not with mortals. And so they're saying to the king, you're asking too much. Only the gods can reveal such things. We're me mortals. And so what did the king do? Well, Nebuchadnezzar here, he shows the characteristics of any insecure, volatile, deranged ruler. Smack down, lock down, kill them all. And so what do we have? Well, we've got now a story of a king agitated and tormented by these mysteries. And as powerful as he was, reduced to a me man. But of course, there was a purpose to these mysteries. It was not just there for that purpose. Daniel was facing execution now as one of the wise men. And so what did he do? Well, not flee, not turn to other wise men, but instead he turned to God. And he called a prayer meeting with his friends. And perhaps as a side tangent here, there's a lesson there for us. You see, those of you who think you can go about being a Christian alone, Without the help of your brothers and sisters, that is not true. It just can't be. You need your brothers and sisters in prayer, and they need you. Even courageous Daniel calls a prayer meeting. But why? Well, because he knew, I'm just a mere mortal. I'm not smart. I'm not wise. I can't work out Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Only God can. And God answered, verse 19, the mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel praised the God of the heavens. And so the realm of the unknown, the realm of the mysterious, it is only God who can reveal the truth. And so Daniel now prays, and it's recorded down for us. And he praises God, not firstly for how God has answered his prayer, but firstly about who God is. We see in verse 20. May the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. Now, even as you reflect on those words, wisdom and power belong to God. I mean, those words cannot be said of any individual in the entire universe. I mean, you might be smart and wise, but wisdom does not belong to you. It belongs to God. You might have some powers. I mean, our government has quite a lot of powers and they've shown some this weekend. But power does not belong to any person or ruler or government. It belongs to God. And that's why Daniel goes on to pray in verse 21. He changes the times and seasons 
He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding, which means behind every ruler is God's rule. Behind every government is God's government. Kings will rise and fall because of God's will. Political parties will be voted in and out because of the will of God. Power belongs to God. And that is why Daniel gives glory to where glory is deserved. And so he prays in verse 23. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my fathers, because you have given me wisdom and power. And now you have let me know what we ask of you, for you have let us know the king's mystery. And so now Daniel goes to the king. And when he sees this king, you should notice his attitude quite different to the chief or the captain of the king's guard, Arioch. He came in proud thinking, look what I've done, look what I've discovered, and perhaps a little bit of self-promotion. But Daniel, with humility, I'm no wiser than any person. And so he says in verse 28, But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. Now, for what purpose? Why do you think God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to dream such a dream, such a tormenting dream that unsettled him so much? Well, just when Nebuchadnezzar relegated the God of Israel as one of the many gods in his temples... Just when Nebuchadnezzar overpowered or thought he overpowered the God of Israel and ransacked the temple in Jerusalem. Just when he sat back and thought, I am unstoppable. This was a lesson from God. A dream to show him, who is really king here, Nebuchadnezzar? And the answer is not you. Who is really the true power here, Nebuchadnezzar? And the answer is not you. And whose empire will be established forever, Nebuchadnezzar? And the answer is not you. Which means this specific gift given to Daniel was not merely for his sake and not merely for the sake of keeping him and his friends alive, but it was so that this pagan king will know who to bow the knee to. And it does make you think, doesn't it, what Daniel prayed. Power does belong to God. There is not one millimetre or inch in the entire universe that God is not master of, even dreams. This past week, discussing this story with some of the men in our church, I heard of an excellent story of, of a Western lady who married into a very pro prominent, high-profile Buddhist family in Asia. And so what happened was she had to take on her husband's religion with all the religious ceremonies and rituals had to become almost like a Buddhist. One day, she went to see an astrologer and asked about her future. And the astrologer said to her, unless you turn back to the God of your fathers, you will die. And as a result... She became a Christian and continues to live as a faithful disciple of Jesus in that household. But of course, we must understand that the Bible never promises that God will use these means of revealing his truth to us. He has already given us the Bible, and so if we want certainty, we go to his word. 
but it does remain true. There is not one sphere in the entire universe that God is not master of. And perhaps you may have heard of stories of Muslims who became believers because of their dream. It was Abraham Kuyper who once said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine, even dreams. And so the mysteries of torment are the mysteries from God. And so now we we get the suspense building up. Nebuchadnezzar tormented by the dreams. Daniel now says, well, I can interpret it, but what was the dream? Well, it was a dream like what we saw in the kids' talk, of a colossal statue, dazzling and terrifying in appearance. And we read this from verse 31 onwards. Head of gold, chest and arms of silver, stomach and thighs of bronze, legs of iron and then feet of iron and clay. And so you get the picture from expensive to a lot cheaper, but from soft to strong and tough. But then we get to the feet and it is unstable. And so we're meant to get a picture in our mind of a big statue that's not very stable. And that's the dream. Now at this point, it is worth saying, if you've done some reading of commentaries or listening to talks on Daniel chapter 2, It's very easy to think and to come to this passage thinking, I know what this means. I know what each part of the body means and which part that metal or iron refers to and which kingdom it refers to. And many people think they're quite certain or quite adamant or even become quite dogmatic that this is what it means and this is what kingdom it refers to. But let me suggest, let us just stick to the text and let us just see what's here in Daniel. And that is to not miss the forest for the trees. You see, it's very easy, especially when we get to books like Daniel, apocalyptic literature, where we can go off on all sorts of tangents but miss the big idea. And so what does the dream mean? Well, we don't need a guess. Daniel tells us. Look at verse 37. Your majesty, you are king of kings. The God of the heavens has given you sovereignty, power, strength and glory. And so though Nebuchadnezzar was recognised as king, and he was a powerful king, he was put in his place in this dream. You are king, but the power you have was given to you by God. And then verse 38, you are the head of gold. And now Daniel, who moves from his interpretation of the head of gold down to the other parts of the body, which represents other kingdoms that will rise inferior, but also powerful. But note here that Daniel doesn't identify which kingdoms they are. Many will come and think, well, that refers to the succeeding kingdoms, the next three empires that rose after Babylon. And so the Persians, the Greeks and the Romans. Now, I guess this is where I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees. Because even if what Daniel meant referred to those kingdoms, he doesn't say that. It could even be that he meant for those four kingdoms to represent all the kingdoms of human history. You see, the number four in Hebrew signifies a sense of totality. And that's why you've got the language of the four corners of the globe, the four corners of earth, 
everything. All the four living creatures re representing all the creatures on earth. All the four rivers flowing out of Eden. Four can just represent all. But what's the point that Daniel was trying to make? What's the big idea? The forest for the trees. Well, whatever kingdom they represented, they were all in trouble. All of them. They will all be smashed and decimated. They will have their time in the sun, but one day they will be gone. And that is because of this stone cut not by human hands. We see that in verse 34. A stone broke off without a hand touching it, struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. And so there's this unexpected small stone yet of divine origin, not cut by human hands. And it grows into a mountain and fills the earth. And so what is that stone? What is that mountain? Well, Micah speaks of it, and, he, and Daniel makes clear here. It is God making clear to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of kings then, making clear to him that it is I who will be establishing my kingdom. Your kingdom won't last. In fact, all these other kingdoms after you will not last, but my kingdom will last forever and ever. And it will be encompassing of the whole earth. It will fill the earth. You see, that's the point of the dream. Whatever these other kingdoms may be, that's beside the point. This is the point. Verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. And if you think about what Daniel says there, that remains true even today. I mean, kingdoms in human history, they rise and they fall. They have their time in the sun, but eventually they'll be destroyed. And even if we think about the mighty powers today, the United States of America... China becoming a superpower, they might be a power for another 50 years, 100 years, maybe even 200 years, but it will not be forever. Australia, as good as this nation is, it will not last. In fact, in human history, the biggest empire that ever existed was perhaps the British Empire. At one point, they held sway to about 23% of the world's population. Almost a quarter of the world was under their power. It's been said that it was the empire on which the sun never sets. But where's the British Empire today? Only a shadow of its glory days. But yet what we're hearing here is still true today, that the kingdom of God is the only one that will last. And so at the end of this story, all that was left for Nebuchadnezzar to do this pagan king. He bows down to the true king of kings and the lord of lords. The mystery of torment was the mystery of God, and that has now been revealed. But yet the story is not yet complete. The mystery has been revealed, but it is also fulfilled you see, what remains still a mystery to Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, as we travel along the narrative of the Bible, as Daniel and the story of Daniel looks forward to the future, we in fact now see the mystery fulfilled. 
We'll see it fleshed out in a few more weeks when we look at Daniel 7. But what is this everlasting kingdom that God speaks of? What is this stone? What is it that has small beginnings of divine origin? What is it that will inaugurate the kingdom of God? Well, is that not what we see when we turn to the New Testament? Is that not what we see when we see the coming of Jesus Christ? A virgin born of a son born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, that's divine origin. And when Jesus stood before Pilate, he said, My kingdom is not of this world, otherwise my servants will fight. And Jesus said, You, Pilate, would have no authority over me if it hadn't been given to you from above. You see, it is the kingdom that Jesus establishes that continues to fill the earth. It's like the mountain is growing. The mystery of the dream is really the mystery of the gospel, now revealed and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Small beginnings in Palestine. But how now the church has spread to almost every corner of the globe. And if you think about how you, if you're a believer in Jesus, how you first became a Christian, how did it happen? It's that stone growing and filling the earth. And as I reflected on this, perhaps the first Christian that in my family, in my ancestry, was my great-grand-uncle. How did the gospel come to him? It was a strange story to change a culture that was so superstitious. It was in the 1940s when he escaped China on a boat to Taiwan when he met a fellow soldier who was a Christian. It's like this rock becoming a mountain and he became a Christian. And even in the 2,000 years of church history, how many kingdoms have risen and fallen over that time? The Persians, the Greeks... The Romans, the Mongolians, the Russians, the Portuguese, the Chinese, the Spanish, some have lasted hundreds of years, but at their grave, the church still stands. It is this mountain that is filling the earth. And so when we come to today, now in 2021, living in light of this dream fulfilled, the kingdom of God already inaugurated, The mountain is growing and we will see kingdoms around the world crumbling. We actually are going behind the scenes, like what we started last week, behind the scenes to see what God is doing in this world. And we need to remember this, especially as we see and especially as it feels like in the Western world in particular, as Christianity and what we believe is pushed further and further into the periphery relegated to an unwanted part of society and often ridiculed as nonsense. And as leaders around our world and even in our nation behave a bit like Nebuchadnezzar, thinking that they have powers over God, closing churches, which happened recently in California. All the churches were closed, but it was fought in the high court. Removing scripture from school in the name of tolerance, and forgetting that their powers were from above. And so what do we do as we notice a world like this? As we live in a world that is filled with so many Nebuchadnezzars, do we fret? 
Do we fear like we've got a nightmare? Or do we pray like Daniel and his friends? Do we live with that sure and certain hope that the unknown to them is no longer mysterious to us? It has been revealed to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we who believe now belong to the kingdom of God, this everlasting kingdom spoken of here in this dream, a kingdom not made of gold or silver or bronze or iron, but established by the very blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, is that the kingdom you belong to? Seasons will come, seasons will go. Waves and currents of social engineering, but where do you stand? Where do we stand, even if it doesn't feel like it, but where do we stand as we see the world crumbling? Well, we stand on Christ, the solid rock. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are the revealer of all truth and that you do make clear from thousands of years ago, which remains true, that you are establishing your kingdom. And that your son, Jesus Christ, has inaugurated that kingdom and welcomes us in. And so help us as Christians today to live in this world, not being shaken by all that happens around us, but standing firm on Christ, the solid rock. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.